0: My name is Andrew, I'm a lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today, wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're gonna donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, what a series this has been. We've been in Romans for a little while now, about eight weeks or so, and we have finally made it to Romans chapter four. Now, this chapter, is going to mark the end of the first major section of Paul's letter. He's going to shift gears into a whole new section in Romans chapter 5. We're going to tackle chapter 4 today and then next time uh, as well. And then we're going to have a bit of a break for for a good little bit through Romans. We're going to come back to it after the holidays as we start uh, 2024 next year, okay? So we'll jump into Romans 5 next January. A lot of Paul's writing in the first three chapters is going to focus on the gospel and how to live out your faith and relationship with Christ instead of trying to work and earn your way to the Lord. And it feels like it's been a a lot being said about religion versus relationship. That's because there has been. Paul's purpose in writing Romans is to let people know they should be living out and engaged in their gospel-centric life. Live out your faith. Now, one of the catchy phrases I've heard since I was a teenager uh, has been tossed around quite a bit by Christians and churches alike has been that you can believe Long before you believe. And I've always liked that. Like, I've, I've liked it because if you're sincere about this, and to be fair, like, not everybody is, but if you're sincere, you're opening your doors to including people who want to be part of a community of believers chasing after the things of God. No one's pressuring you or coercing you into following Jesus, but you're welcome to be a part of what we're doing because we believe that God, God's going to impact you, if not outright bring you to a place where you eventually put your faith in Him. And I've always just liked that approach, but if you could, you know, maybe alter it a little bit. If I could alter that phrase some, I might say it like this today. You can believe before you change. So in other words, like, I would really want to put the focus on believing before focusing on changing behavior. There's a lot of people who want to do the opposite, and you may have grown up in a church environment that was kind of like that. Um, They want you to change everything first, and then you can believe, but that's not exactly how the gospel works. So near the end of uh, his account on the life and ministry of Jesus, John writes this to his readers. Look at John chapter 20, verse number 30, John says this. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And look at this. And that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. So John's written these stories and miracles so you would believe in Christ and then find freedom in him. He's implying that our belief in Christ precedes a change in how we live our lives. So before we get our behavior straightened out, before we make some changes, we have to believe in Jesus first. And it's this idea that by believing correctly, we'll behave or live correctly. You know, so many have been taught that if you believe or behave correctly, it'll lead you to believing the right way. But the opposite is true from scripture. Conviction comes from God. Guilt and shame, that comes from religion. So I think most Christians would tell you that, you know, they know they're saved by their faith in Christ, but they feel like they have to work hard to stay that way. There's almost this feeling that you can't really mess this thing up or you're going to be in trouble. And so, you know, all your works, all your obedience, it's all out of a fear that you might not be good enough to stay safe. But that's not the gospel either. That's a wrong worldview because it means you'd be relying and depending on yourself for your own salvation and your own spiritual growth and you can't do that either on your own merit you need the Holy Spirit to bring you to conviction and to the feet of Jesus for salvation and you need him again to help you continue in your spiritual growth as he shapes and changes and molds you and yet there's a, a real big tension between believing and behaving right because like James will say this he says like if you, you have faith without proof without works right it's dead so how do how do you walk this balance between believing and behaving. Well, first you have to decide how you're going to live. We either live by belief or we live by behavior. We either live by faith or by our own works and behaviors. Again, it's that argument of, you know, religion or relationship, works or faith. And to show Jewish Christians how important faith and relationship is, Paul's going to bring into the argument the most revered Jewish patriarch of all time, Abraham. Look at chapter 4, verse number 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What he, did dis- what he did discover about being made right with God. Well, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But, what was, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So Abraham's story is it's really kind of wild here. In case you were not familiar with it, he's called by God to go to a place he's never been to. He lived his whole life in a place that was called Ur, which is in northern Iraq, and God says, get up, take your family, your servants, everything you own, and everything you have, and start going west. It's like, okay, well, how do I know when I stop? And God's like, well, you'll know because I'll tell you to stop. <laughs> hey, great! You're thinking, you know, let me just tell my wife that. I mean, like, you know, your spouse is itching to get excited and uproot everybody and everything and and leave that place of stability and provision to go to a life of instability and uncertainty, (laughs) right? I mean, she's itching to do that, all because God said, (laughs) go. But that's not the half of it. So they get to where they're supposed to go, which is Israel. And and they're too old for kids. So God promises them a son. And he says, hey, sacrifice your son to me. And of course, Abraham, he actually almost does it. He nearly carries it out before an angel stops him. And God just kind of claps his hands and is like, congratulations, you passed the test. What kind of test is that, right? But everything God asked Abraham to do, he did it. He he was the epitome of the uh, faithful obedience. If you ever said, you know, prayer and done everything that God's asked you to do, you feel as if you've accomplished things, right? Uh, And and God is just not impressed, though. God's not impressed with, with Abraham's obedience or with our obedience. He's impressed with Jesus. It's not our obedience that he admires. It's Christ's obedience. Now, notice Paul doesn't say Abraham obeyed God. He says Abraham believed God, and it was that belief, not the obedience, which God counted as righteous. So I said it a few weeks ago that many people are going to stand before Jesus one day. And 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 they're gonna talk to talk to him about how obedient they were, and they'll tell him all the things they did for him, and how they you know they served and loved people and did so many great things, and, and that's not gonna impress him. Why? Because religion says do, and Jesus says come be with me. It's relationship. Does he know you, and do you know him? And there's this tension here because we want God to see us as righteous. We want God to be impressed. you want the affirmation from the Lord. And so what we do is we sometimes attach God's view of righteousness to our behavior. And Paul's point in using Abraham is to show us that Abraham was the ultimate obedient servant of God. He obeyed even before the law existed, and yet it wasn't enough because it wasn't his obedience and works that God recognized, but his faith. God sees you as righteous before you ever obey because he attaches his righteousness not to our works and what we do, but to our faith. And that word right there, that does that set some of you free today I'm sure right so let's just keep going verse number four when people work their wages are not a gift but something they've earned but you know people are counted as as righteous not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners so what Paul's saying here is he's saying if you live by your works, your works are not counted as a gift to God. Really, you're kind of paying dues, right? Like Paul isn't dismissing obedience, and I don't want to do that here today uh, either. I don't want you to say, well, I don't have to do anything, but believe, great. Obedience does matter, but as we're going to see in a little bit, our obedience stems from our belief. I mean, you can't hang with Jesus for very long before he just changes your life. The more you're around God's presence, the more you're around the people of God, the more your life Life starts to change because you're being exposed to the power and presence of God Almighty. And that's why we don't have a screening process here at Radiant. Like, you know, to, to put all the parents at ease, we do screen for our kids workers, okay? But, like, don't get all technical here. We don't screen you and look at your sins for the last week. Hey, did you gamble? Did you drink? Did you smoke and chew and go with girls who do? You know, that's what the saying is. Like, we, we don't do that because anyone who's far from God is welcome to be a part of what he is doing right here and have their lives turned upside down for Jesus. If you've gone through our growth track, we talk about our culture and serving, and and I, I get asked by people who contact the church on an increasing basis now, which is kind of cool, hey, do you let non-believers serve? I get that question a lot. And most of them are, are for whatever reason, shocked when I say, well, it kind of depends, because they're expecting like a firm no. But I'll be honest with you, um, you know, do you think uh, do, do you think if you have to be a Christian to smile <laughs> and be friendly and open up the door for folks? No, uh, but, but I can't. Let you serve in a role where you're teaching kids the next generation, right? And the reason we have this setup up is because I'd much rather have somebody who's searching for God here with us than out in the world, looking in all the wrong places. Why? Because I have faith that the longer they're with us and the longer they're in the presence of God, the greater the change, the greater the impact, the closer we're going to get them to experiencing the Holy Spirit in a life-changing, incredibly impactful way and hopefully get them to that place where they can say, yes to Jesus so yeah radiant you can belong before you believe but it's also belief that precedes behavior and honestly that makes it a struggle for us here in America right because we have such a performance based culture in every single aspect of our lives including church but God's not Simon Cowell and <laughs> judging you on American Idol, like on how well you're performing. Like he loves you and he wants all of you. And, and, and that isn't an excuse to be lazy and sloppy because I think you should, you should serve in whatever capacity that, that, that you're in and do it well because that's honoring to, to the Lord who gave you gifts. But our goal is not to perform. It's to bring people into a closer walk with Christ through the gifts and abilities that God's given us. And we just can't lose sight of that. You know, and the moment we do, that's the moment we stop being a a functioning church in the body of Christ, really. It's not our works and our excellence that saves us. It's our faith in God who, as Paul states, forgives sinners. By the way, that's you and I. So look at what he says next. He's going to pull a quote from Psalm 32 right here, starting in verse number 6. Paul says this, um, David also spoke of, uh, of, of this when he described the happiness of those who were declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose obedience is for- forgiven, uh, whose sins are, are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. God took Jesus and put him in your place on the cross. You and I should have paid that penalty, but Christ paid it for us. And he turned God's wrath away from us and towards himself, as Romans 3.25 says. And now when God sees us as followers of Christ, he sees us as forgiven, as the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did for us. God doesn't see us as sinners who are guilty of spiritual separation. And you may struggle with that today you may have a hard time with how God sees you because you can't grasp how God could just overlook what you did and who you were and really like what your thoughts may have been like you know, yesterday. But our problem is this, that we try to prove our worth to God instead of living with this knowledge that because of Christ, we're worthy, right? Because of Jesus, we're prized. Because of Him, we are valued. Our obedience comes in response to what Christ has done for us, not not from what we can do. You know, my, my wife's favorite flowers are orchids, and so sometimes I'll randomly come home with an orchid, not to get her affection, like she's my wife, I have a relationship with her, okay? Uh, I, I'm not doing it for that. I'm giving her these orchids because of her affection. It's a response to who she is to me and who we are together, and that leads me to our next takeaway here today, that our belief is sealed by our behavior. Our belief is sealed by our behavior. You're righteous because of your faith, yeah. but. Now that you've placed your faith in Christ, your belief in Jesus seals how you live. It's your behavior. It, it, there's a very big difference here. It's not behaving your way to God that proves your faith. It's how you live out your faith, which proves your belief. If you've got money in the bank and you make a transaction, that seals what you believe to be true, right? Like I have money, so I'm going to order that sirloin steak and it's covered and I'm good, right? I, I said it a few weeks ago, if you want to see what you believe, give an honest assessment of your life. You know, Abraham believed God's word, so he behaved, he acted, he lived in a way that was unfamiliar to people around him, but everything he did was a result of his belief, and God counted that as righteous. When you believe in Christ, your belief leads the way. Whenever God calls you to do something from His Word or from the Holy Spirit, it's not duty that you're offering. No, it's not works you've earned or presenting to Him. It's, it's actually delight because our belief in God motivates us to live for Him. Look at verse number 9. Now, this is the blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Look at verse number 11. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith, and that God had already accepted him into Declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. Man, this is such an important passage right here. Anyone remember the song you sang about Abraham growing up, you know, if you grew up in church? Kind of goes like this, Father Abraham, right, had many sons, (laughs) and many sons had Father Abraham. Then what do you say? I am one of them, right? Right? Are you Jewish? I mean, I, I got some Jewish friends, and they sing this song, and it's, it's kind of legit, but, but I'm not Jewish. Are you Jewish? You know? uh, how is Abraham our father? Well, it's not in an ethnic sense, but it's in a spiritual sense that he's our father of all who believe. That's what Paul's getting at here, and what he's just done is group all the Gentile Christians together with the Jewish Christians, and he said, hey, all the blessings and the promises that God gave to Abraham and his descendants, they now belong to every single person who believes. And really, that's not a new thing. It's always been that way. Boy, this is, this is massive. This turns everything upside down and inside out for these Jewish Christians who've been taught that Gentiles are like second-class people. Now, why can Paul say that? Well, he can say it because the answer to this question, did Abraham have faith credited as righteous before he obeyed or, or after? And all the religious guys were saying, it's after, but it wasn't, it was before. And so right now, everyone just kind of stop what you're doing. If you're driving, you got to pay attention, okay? But I need you to, to really listen here. Everyone needs to hear this today. Our righteousness in God is not recognized after we obey, but before. And this occurs the moment we place our faith, the moment we believe in Jesus. Paul's saying it's Abraham's faith that was counted as righteousness, and then Abraham obeyed. His belief was sealed by his obedience. Well, we struggle with this one, don't we? I, I think the longer that we're Christians, the harder it is to wrestle with this. You know, it's not it's not well done, good, and obedient servant that Christ will say one day. It's well done, good, and faithful servant. It's your faith. It's your belief that opens the door to relationship. It's your belief that precedes behavior. It's your belief that produces the right kind of godly living, not the other way around. And so, so the truth is that our behavior, will work itself out as we draw closer to Jesus. I don't believe in you know, being the moral police. I don't think the church should be the moral police. Christ doesn't tell you to go do 15 things first, then you'll be okay. He just simply invites you to follow him, that's it. There's no step number two that goes to step three with options A, B, and C. It's just simply follow Him. Why? Because the more I'm with Jesus, the more He changes me. The more I'm with the people of God and build relationships with them, the more they sharpen me and complement the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, the more I am becoming like Jesus. Romans 10.17 says this, A faith comes from hearing the Word of God. I can guarantee you, if you're struggling with belief in God or intimacy with Him, it's because of one of two things. Either you're not praying and communicating with Him, or you're not spending time in His Word. If your only scriptural diet is when I preach to you, you know, I, I promise you you're hungry, man, and you're spiritually malnourished. And it's not like a, well, I should go look for somewhere else because I'm not being fed here type kind of thing. No, you can do that, but you're going to still starve anywhere you go because you can't live that way. You're not going to make it. We, we live for God because we believe in God. We don't live for God to belong to God. We already belong to Him. The psalmist says this, the earth is the Lord and everything's in it. We're already His. We live for God because of our yes, because we have faith and belief and who? In Jesus, who's the one who saves us. So as we wind this down, let me just ask you something real quick. What do you really believe? What do you really believe? What do you really believe about God? And what do you believe God believes about you? You know, the way you live your life, your behavior, all of it is a result of what you truly believe. In Mark chapter 7, Christ says everything we do, good or bad, it stems from the heart. If you don't have a, you know, a good prayer life, it's because you don't really believe in prayer. If you don't handle money well, it's because you don't really believe in God's plan for our finances. I know that's kind of tough because we want to blame our problems on somebody else or a system or like whatever, but the truth is it, it all comes down to what you believe. And some of us are living a life of defeat right now because we simply don't believe in the things of God we struggle to live for Jesus and it's not because we can't overcome addictions or problems but because we don't believe in the right things about God or better yet we just don't believe in what God believes about us so the question here man is like do you believe i mean like do you really believe do you believe that God loves you do you believe his grace is amazing enough for you do you believe that he sees you some of us hope that He isn't watching sometimes, you know, but but you, do you believe that He sees you? Some have worked so hard trying to earn God's favor and hear His voice. You're convinced He's no longer paying attention to you, but the Bible says that God will never leave you, that He's always with you. You know, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, they, they felt forgotten. 400 years of slavery, of misery, death, suffering, like, you, that'll do that to you, you know? And out of a burning bush, God speaks to Moses. And what does God tell Moses? He says this, I have seen the oppression of my people. God's, God's love, his heart, his affection, it's turned towards you because God sees you. But do you believe it? Do you believe that God even likes you? <laughs> I mean, like, do you believe he can forgive you of anything and everything you've done or said or thought? Do you believe that God believes in you? that he has a plan and purpose for you, that he can take your junk and redeem it and turn all that baggage you're carrying around. God's not trying to erase your past. That's really part of your story. What he's trying to do is he wants to give you a new future. Do you believe that God loves your spouse more than you do? That he loves your kids more than you do? Do you believe you're more than a conqueror because of Christ? Do you believe that God is greater within you than what you're facing? see every single minute of every single day we walk in belief I believe I can overcome sin because I'm more than a conqueror through Christ I believe in giving generously because I believe in a God who provides and satisfies all my needs and hey you know what it's all his anyway none of it's really mine we walk by faith not by behavior we walk by belief and when you leave when you let your faith come alive Christ, man, he'll he'll walk in and just wreck your behavior. <laughs> he'll change you. He'll transform you. Uh, you. You know how you overcome sexual temptation to get closer to Jesus? How do you overcome greed to get with Jesus? How do you break free of addiction and alcohol? You come closer to Christ. How do you become a better husband, wife, mom, dad? You get closer and closer to Jesus. So the question is, what do you really believe? Have you spent all your life trying to prove your worth to God? making it all about your obedience and what you can do for him, only to come up short and feel kind of the same emptiness and guilt. Man, I'm telling you, today is the day you can turn it around. John said it. Let's go back to it. John 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing in him, you will have what? Life by the power of his name. Man, today is your day. It's a new day. It's the day you can stop focusing on behavior and start living in the freedom and belief and faith that Christ can bring. If you're watching and listening right now, you say, Pastor, I hear all that, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't feel free, I don't believe I'm free, but I, I want that. I want that freedom. I want that life. I, I want what Jesus can bring to me. What I want to do really quickly is just kind of walk you through a prayer. I'm going to model it for you, but walk you through a prayer where we make Christ Lord of our lives, So He's going to save us of our sin and then be Lord of our life. That's step one. That's it. Follow Jesus. Then I want to pray for believers, for Christians out there, that perhaps you're struggling with belief and behavior, and you've spent your whole life, maybe, or a big chunk of your life, even, focusing on doing and behaving, and it's all the external stuff, but you haven't spent a lot of time walking really truly in faith. I want to pray for you too. Let's let's start first with those of you who say, Pastor, I just just need Christ in my life. So we're going to do this. We're going to say a prayer. goes like this. Jesus, I'm so sorry for the sin that I've done. I know that I've come up short of your standards. I can't measure up. I've got things I've done and said and thought that I'm not proud of. I know, God, that you're not proud of. I know, Lord, that you're You're not pleased with that. And so today I'm just saying, Lord, I I can't live this way any longer. I need you to forgive me. And I pray for that forgiveness to overflow into my life, into my heart. Lord, would you cleanse me? Would you make me brand new? Would you save me? I can't save myself. Save me from my sins and my wrong. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again, to bring me new life and newfound freedom and new hope. Thank you for this forgiveness and this new start for being my Savior. But I recognize that just because you're my Savior doesn't mean I fully surrendered. And so today I'm going to say, I need you to be my Lord. I've, I've lived my own way. I've done my own thing. I've called my own shots. It doesn't work out well. I'm not gonna live according to my rules and my behavior and my life. I'm, I'm gonna change it all. And from today going forward, I'm living for you. Jesus, will you be my Lord who leads me, who guides me, who shows me where I should go and what I should do. I, I'm, from this day forward, I'm committing myself to the best of my ability to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit to follow your leading, to follow, God, what you're asking me to do. I'm surrendering my life over to you. It's not mine anymore. It belongs to you. Be my Lord and be my Savior today. God, for those who are Christians out there right now, and they're, just, they're struggling with, with, with religion and relationship, belief, behavior, Lord, I pray that you would instill in them this desire to be with you, this, this desire to get along with you and spend time with you, to build that relationship, to walk in faith, to focus on the faith that they have. Abraham wasn't counted as righteous because of his obedience and his works and what he did it was because of the faith that he had in you. And I pray you would restore uh, the faith of those who focus so much on doing things for you and working for you and so much on the religion at the expense of the relationship. God, I pray that our hearts would be turned towards you. And as we spend time with you and that relationship grows with you, as our faith becomes more and more a part of who we are, we walk in that faith. God, I pray that our behavior would then begin to change. As we want more of you, we begin to take on more of the likeness of Christ. We become more... Uh, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we allow the Spirit to change us and grow us, then we realize, God, our behaviors change, our, our practices change, our lifestyle changes. So, I just pray, Lord, that we'd focus less on all the external stuff and more on our faith and belief and relationship in you. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for Romans, for Paul, and, and the words of wisdom that he's given us. We just pray all this in your name. Amen.